is music notes and more with your host, Jason Ginty. The Kinks crank up the fuzz. Grave Robbers want Elvis. Pearl Jam released 10. We lose Stevie Ray Vaughan. Izzy gets Wizzy. And Alice Cooper declares school is over. Let's take a look back at music and pop culture history for the week of August 26th. Now, you've heard the Kinks' You Really Got Me song before. It's got that cool, distorted, fuzzy guitar. It is an iconic song, obviously. Well, it was released this week back in 1964. How do they get the distortion sound? Today, it's easy. You just get some plug-ins, and you got pedals, and you got all that cool stuff for your guitar. Back then, didn't have those things just yet. Well, what they did was the uh, guitarist, Dave Davies, took and sliced the speaker cone of his guitar amplifier with a razor blade, and he poked it with a pin. That gave you that raw, distorted sound. It was also rumored at the time that future Led Zeppelin guitarist Jimmy Page had actually performed the song's guitar solo. Well, that myth has since been proven very much false. He did, however, play the tambourine on the song. Fast forward to 1978, the guys in Van Halen decide that doing a cover version of The Kinks' as You Really Got Me would be a great idea for their debut album called Van Halen. It came out loud, thick, and nasty, and it was awesome. Eddie Van Halen took off and went crazy with the song. Now, The Kinks' Dave Davies has claimed to dislike Van Halen's rendition of the song. Ray Davies, on the other hand, claimed to like the track because... It made him laugh. This week back in 1997, the band Creed, yes, Creed, released their debut album called My Own Prison. Now, this was their first album, and it only cost them $5,000 to make. It went on to sell over 6 million copies. Yes, at one time, Creed was huge. But now, of course, they're one of the most hated bands on the planet. Why? Well, this band is so hated that their own fans sued them after a famously bad show in Chicago back in 2003. Frontman Scott Stapp is so despised that when a video surfaced of him getting a Hummer sitting next to Kid Rock on a tour bus, Kid Rock said he was mainly embarrassed. People learned he was hanging out with Scott Stapp and not getting hummers from groupies on a tour bus together. The band reformed in 2009 for a reunion tour, but their fans had since moved on. Sales were so horrendous that in Birmingham, during that tour, the tickets were lowered to 75 cents, and still nobody showed up. But at one time, Creed was huge. Now, I got to meet the guys backstage on their reunion tour, and I gotta be honest... Very, very nice guys. Mark Tremonti, the guitar player, super, super cool guy. I've talked to him numerous times over the years. What a nice dude, right? Even Scott Stapp, he was nice. Hey, man, how you doing? Hey, what's up? You know, he was totally cool backstage. I don't know if he's a dick outside of that, but he was cool to me at that time period. Either way, they really fell off the face of the planet. Back in 1965, the number one song this week was the song called I Got You, Babe, of course, by Sonny and Cher. The song was written by Sonny Bono. Now, he was inspired to write the song to capitalize on the popularity of the term babe. Yeah, he was a big fan of Bob Dylan's, and Dylan's song called It Ain't Me, Babe 
was hot at the time, and apparently everybody was walking around calling each other babe. So Sonny's like, let me make some damn money. And he did. And that song was huge, still cool today. Fast forward, 1987, Sonny Bono decides music ain't working out. Let's become a politician. So he announced that he was going to run for mayor of Palm Springs. Well, everyone laughed at him. Guess what? He became mayor of Palm Springs in 1988. And then he decides, let's go to Congress and raise the stakes. So in 1994, Sonny Bono was a congressman. And in 1998, Sonny was skiing. And he went into a wooded area, and that is where it all ended for Sonny Bono. He collided with a tree. The crash caused extensive head trauma, which resulted in Sonny Bono's death. 1993, Billy Joel started a three-week run at number one on the U.S. album chart with the album called River of Dreams. Now, Joel claimed that most of the music came to him in his sleep, hence the title of the album, River of Dreams. Now, the singer's second wife, one-time model Christy Brinkley, painted the album cover, which was later voted the worst album cover of the year. Apparently, Christy is better looking than she is a painter. It was on this day back in 1921 that the owner of the Acme Packing Company bought himself a pro football team in Green Bay, Wisconsin. J.E. Clare paid tribute to those who worked in his plant by naming the team the Green Bay Packers. It was this week back in 1990 that Stevie Ray Vaughan was killed when the helicopter he was flying in hit a man-made ski slope while trying to navigate through some dense fog. Now, Stevie Ray had just played a show at the Alpine Valley Music Theater in East Troy, Wisconsin. Now, this was a big one, man. It had Robert Cray. Uh, it had Eric Clapton and many, many others. Now, Vaughn was informed by a member of Eric Clapton's crew that three seats were open on a helicopter returning to Chicago with Eric Clapton's crew. Now, it turned out that there was only one seat left. So Stevie Ray Vaughn requested the seat from his brother, who said, yeah, go ahead and you take it. Three members of Eric Clapton's entourage and Stevie Ray Vaughan were killed that day in 1990. I remember sitting in mechanical drafting class in high school, and we were allowed to listen to the radio during the class. And we had obviously a very cool teacher. So we're listening to the rock station at the time, and I remember listening and hearing a song end, and then the DJ, she comes on the air, right? And she's bawling her eyes out. She's crying on the air. Now, this is not something you're supposed to do in the radio profession. We're all coached, upbeat, positive, be happy, always say positive things, right? That's what you're taught to do in this job. She's bawling her eyes out. She's freaking out. So we all start listening like really intently, right? She comes on the air and she's sobbing and she manages to spit out the fact that Stevie Ray Vaughan was killed in a helicopter crash. So we all stop dropping and we're just listening. We're riveted. You know, Stevie Ray Vaughan, guitar hero, man. The dude was awesome at the time, right? We're all sitting there. We're all like looking around going, holy shit, did this really just happen? Yeah, it had just happened. I remember her playing a bunch of Stevie Ray Vaughan songs afterwards, and it was just such a kick in the ass, right? You were just bummed out, which is the power 
of music, right? Nowadays, you've probably heard it numerous times. I've had to go on the air and tell people, yeah, David Bowie has passed away. Chris Cornell has passed away. You know, all these people over the years. And when it happens, what I think goes on is you go and you rediscover their music, right? Sure, I was a fan of Stevie Ray Vaughan, but man, I went home afterwards and listened to tons of his stuff. When David Bowie passed away, I was just an average fan. But once he died, I was introduced to much more of his catalog and his music, and I started doing more research on that guy. Now I'm a huge Bowie fan, and it just keeps happening. Every time one of these classic artists pass away, I get engrossed more into their music. I don't know why, but it's just it's one of those weird things. It's the finality of it all, I assume. And it's unfortunate because I wish I would have engrossed myself more into the music when they were alive because, well, I would have been a bigger fan. It was this week back in 1991 that Pearl Jam released their debut album called 10. Of course, it features the songs Alive, Jeremy, Even Flow, Black. Now, Pearl Jam were accused at the time of jumping on the grunge bandwagon, despite the fact that the album 10 had been both recorded and released before Nirvana's Nevermind. Now, 10 was instrumental in popularizing alternative rock in the mainstream. The album has gone on to sell over 13 million copies and remains Pearl Jam's most commercially successful album to date. On the last day of a five-day break from their North American tour, the Beatles attended a recording session for the band The Birds uh, this week in 1965. Now, later that afternoon, the Beatles met Elvis Presley. Now, think of this. It's 1965. You're dealing with the two biggest just the two biggest. There's nothing else to say. The two biggest. Now, they met at Elvis Presley's mansion in Beverly Hills. And apparently, it was a really, really awkward meeting. And the Beatles walked away with the impression that Elvis Presley's personality was decidedly, and I quote, unmagnetic. John Lennon said after they met Elvis that he was like, where's this Elvis guy that I see on TV? It was like meeting... Engelbert Humperdinck, who was a much different artist, by the way, compared to Elvis Presley. Let's just say it didn't go well. Now, fast forward to 1977. Elvis Presley is dead. And three people are arrested in Memphis after trying to steal his body. As a result, Elvis Presley's body was then moved from the graveyard over to Graceland. Now, the thieves' plan was to ransom the corpse of Elvis Presley for 10 million bucks. But the plot was foiled when one of the thieves, an FBI informant named Ronnie Lee Adkins, tipped off the Memphis police and a TV reporter to the scheme. Now, the charges were later dropped after the prosecutor declared that Adkins was too unreliable. 25 years later, Ronnie Lee Adkins confessed that a Shelby County deputy uh, named Billy Talley staged the corpse-snatching hoax so the Presley family could convince county officials to allow them to move Elvis to Graceland for security reasons. You see, apparently, they had to bury Elvis Presley in the cemetery in Memphis. You see, originally, 
Elvis's family wanted his body buried in Graceland, but you just can't go burying people in your backyard, apparently. So they concocted this scheme, paid off the right dummies to try and steal Elvis's body out of the cemetery. Then the family went to officials and said, look, man, we, we, we can't have this going on. You know, this is Elvis Presley. We need to have his body secure and we can secure it better than you guys can. So let us bury him in the backyard here at Graceland, which by the way, you can visit his grave at Graceland today. You may recognize the name Izzy Stradlin as the other guitarist next to Slash in the band Guns N' Roses. Well, apparently this week in 1989, he was arrested in Phoenix for taking a piss in the galley of an airplane on a flight from Indianapolis. Now, this doesn't seem like a good idea. Now, Stradlin and a female companion were smoking in the non-smoking section of the airplane. Yes, kids, you used to be allowed to smoke on an airplane, and I can't even imagine how awful that must have been. Either way, they were being verbally abusive to attendants during the flight. Now, Stradlin and his chick were eventually moved to the smoking section, but continued to use obscene language and make obscene gestures at the attendants. Now, when Izzy Stradlin found the restroom occupied, he took a whiz on the galley carpet. After the plane landed in Phoenix, Izzy refused to deplane, and two officers were brought on board and arrested him for creating a disturbance on an airline flight, which, by the way, was a federal offense. Now, all this does is make that legend at the time in 1989 of Guns N' Roses cooler and cooler. What a cool rock star thing to do. By the way, I wouldn't try it. When you think classic albums, you've got to think about Dylan's Highway 61 Revisited. Well, it was this week back in 1965 that he released that album. It was his sixth studio album. Now, his previous albums were mostly acoustic music. On Highway, Dylan used rock musicians as his backing band on the album. Ooh, this was a big deal, by the way. Now, the album features the hit Like a Rolling Stone. He named the album after the major American highway, which connected his birthplace of Duluth, Minnesota, to southern cities famed for their musical heritage, including St. Louis, Memphis, and of course here in New Orleans, and the Delta Blues area of Mississippi. Not only was Bob Dylan releasing amazing albums, he was also being a bad or good influence depending on how you look at it. You see, the Beatles were in New York uh, doing a show, and Dylan happened to be there as well. So the two met. Dylan and the Beatles meet for the first time at the Delmonico Hotel in New York. Dylan and mutual journalist friend, a guy named Al Aronowitz, introduce the Beatles to marijuana. And there you go. Then the Beatles got way better. (laughs) The 2017 edition of Guinness World Records said that Ringo Starr's copy of the Beatles' White Album was officially the most expensive album ever sold at auction. Guinness confirmed that a December 2015 sale at Julian's Auction House set a new high for album prices when the very first edition copy with the catalog number 00000001 was kept in a vault in perfect condition by Ringo Starr for more than 35 years and then at auction it sold for $790,000. 
During a four-week engagement at the International Hotel in Las Vegas this week in 1970, a security guard at the hotel received a phone call in which he was told Elvis Presley would be shot during his last show. Now, the person demanded $50,000 to reveal the name of the potential killer. Later that day, a menu was found in Elvis's mailbox at the hotel on which Elvis's face was destroyed and a gun had been drawn pointing to his heart. The threats were taken very, very seriously, but Elvis played his last show without any incident. When it comes to the last day of school, especially high school, what's the one thing you want to do? You want to get the hell out, but you also want to jump in a car and crank up Alice Cooper's School's Out, right? Well, you can because it was this week in 1972 that the song was number one, right? Now, Cooper has said he was inspired to write School's Out when answering the question, what's the greatest three minutes of your life? What's the greatest three minutes of your life? What a great question. Alice Cooper said, well, there's two times during the year. One is Christmas morning, okay, The next one is the last three minutes of the last day of school, and he's so right. That last three minutes of school, especially your senior year, when you're like, I'm out, I'm an adult now, let's go. When it comes to brothers in bands, it can oftentimes make great music, but sometimes be a major freaking problem. The Van Halen brothers, they get along, but they don't get along with the rest of the band members. Then you've got the Robinson brothers, Rich and Chris Robinson of the Black Crows. They do not get along. That's just why the band is broken up. Also, you've got uh, the Davies brothers, Ray and uh, Dave Davies of the Kinks. They don't get along very well. And of course, you've got the Gallagher brothers from the band Oasis. Well, it was on this week in 1994 that Oasis released their very first studio album called Definitely Maybe. Now, this was supposed to be like the second coming of the Beatles, and for a while it was. I mean, they had great, great songs. And then it all fell apart because they didn't get along. Well, the uh, album Definitely Maybe is very, very cool. It features the singles uh, Supersonic, Live Forever, and has sold over 8 million copies so far. Another iconic song was released this week back in 1964. You've probably sang it. I know you've heard it. It's called Oh, Pretty Woman. Uh, It's a single by Roy Orbison. The song was Orbison's second number one hit in the U.S. It was this week back in 1963 that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech at a civil rights rally in Washington, D.C. More than 200,000 people Attended. You can hear a clip of that in uh, the band Living Color, a cult of personality. And it was this week back in 1975 that the Superdome in New Orleans held its official dedication ceremonies. You had jazz musicians show up. Uh, Al Hurt, Pete Fountain, they played the event. Now, between August 28th and September 14th of 1975, the Superdome continued to celebrate its grand opening. Remember, This was the biggest damn thing on earth at the time. It was insane how huge the dome was and still is today. So they celebrated. They had appearances by Bob Hope, Kojak, Telly Savalas, uh, 
Raquel Welch, the Allman Brothers Band played, Marshall Tucker played, Wet Willie, the Charlie Daniels Band, the OJs, the Isley Brothers, the Temptations. This thing was huge, man. Uh, they featured Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, also performed during a two-week period in 1975 to celebrate the opening of the Superdome in New Orleans. Music Notes and More is written, recorded, and pretty much hacked together by me, Jason Ginty. Now be sure to subscribe to the podcast to stay updated on the latest releases and check out other episodes that are packed with incredible information about your favorite bands. Be sure to also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And if you got comments, well, let me have them.